This is the Final Fix Podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed and to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. All right, this is the Final Fix podcast. We are back with a special episode. Uh, We are actually going to be, or I say we, Dominic is going to be reading his story that he wrote uh, in high school about the experience growing up with our mom. And then we'll kind of be talking about it afterwards, but um, there's no real other introduction needed. I'll just go ahead and let Dom roll into um, the story and, you know, just sit back and enjoy. This is room 256 by uh, yours truly. It feels like a dream how it all went. I had imagined it so many times that when it actually happened, it didn't seem real. Not long ago, she was crying in treatment because we were late to see her. Now, suddenly, she's moving into her own apartment, a halfway house, 15 minutes north of us in Everett, Washington. It feels like she's made it, like she has all the resources she needs now to get where she wants to be in life, with a job and a support system in place. She can get back to being my mom. I believe in her and hope she uses these opportunities to her advantage. She looks drastically better than she has in a couple of years, too. She's no longer a skeleton. Her nails are painted and her skin is glowing. It seems like nothing can stop her from being happy in this moment. As I watch her unpack boxes of the things we had all been keeping for her, her owl knickknacks, candles, old prized silverware she found at the thrift shop, it's like watching a kid running through a ball pit with no worries in the world. She's feeling free, and her energy is contagious. I can't help but smile seeing her eyes filled with hope. For a moment, I forgot all the bad that had happened since I was 12 years old, three years ago, and just focus on our recoveries, her recovery from heroin addiction, and mine from the dark place I was in because of it. As soon as my mom opened the door to her motel room, I felt a sense of home smelling her favorite candle, leaves from Bath and Body Works. Her brown wavy hair was pulled back into a classic red bandana. She hugged me tightly, and I could feel the difference in her immediately. I love you, she said, tearing up. Her enthusiasm almost distracted me from the fact that she had lost almost 45 pounds since the last time I saw her. Is she okay? Is she sick? Why haven't I seen her in so long? I asked myself these questions over and over again, as if asking was going to give me the answer I needed. Just two days earlier, when I was in the car with my dad on I-5, he asked me a question out of nowhere. You want to talk to your mom? Sure, I said immediately and casually but the question rushed through my body like a river through a canyon. It didn't make sense. It was the last thing I expected him to say. My palms got all sweaty. Where is she? I wondered. I hadn't been told. All I knew was I hadn't seen her in months and my mind spun with possible answers. I waited for him to dial her number. He clicked on the numbers 256. What the fuck is 256? Those numbers didn't mean anything to me. I didn't like it. Her voice shot out of the car speakers like a cannon and it hit me all at once. Hello, baby boy. Emotions I didn't realize I had submerged like vessel wreckage in the middle of the ocean had just come to the surface. She asked me basic questions about sixth grade and football. Then she said, 
Your dad's going to bring you to visit me this weekend, hopefully, if you guys aren't busy. I was confused. After months of not knowing where she was, I didn't really want to face the reality, whatever it was. Reality can wait a little bit longer, I kept thinking as we drove. But reality came quickly, and it was staring at me with hollow eyes and chip nail polish. My dad dropped me off in front of the SeaTac Motel 6, where she'd been living for the last couple of months. He told me to come out in 45 minutes. He was uneasy with the whole thing, I could tell, because he kept saying, If you see anything that makes you uncomfortable, just come back out and we'll go somewhere else. I found room 256. Now the numbers meant something to me. When my mom and I sat down, I noticed one of her teeth was missing. What happened to your tooth? Oh, I have to get a filling. I just stared at her as she explained how her filling had fallen out and that she planned to fix it. The mom I knew wouldn't have left her house with a tooth like that. Why was this so much of my mom, but so not? She got up and started to fix pillows, straightening the sheets as we talked. She asked me about school, sports, everything. I answered all of her questions, but I was afraid to ask her anything. She was acting so jittery that a feeling of dread overwhelmed me. My My hands were sweaty and my stomach was in knots, but I kept it under control. For her. She is the single most important person in my life, and I wanted nothing other than to make her happy and to be happy with her. I started to think about one of my favorite days with her as she talked. I was in the fourth grade, and it was a sunny, slightly breezy Friday afternoon. When I got off the bus, I found the back door open, the condo was airy, and light music was coming out of the TV. The smell of spaghetti sauce hit me and transported me into a whole new dimension. It was like that scene in Alice in Wonderland when she finally steps out and sees what magical new world in front of her eyes. My mom was making my favorite dinner, crockpot spaghetti and Texas toast. It was just the two of us. My sister was over at her friend's house and it was just going to be our day. She even went to the store and got us stuff to make strawberry shortcake. I love days like this because she wasn't stressed out about anything. We would just sit on the back porch and let the sun take us out of our minds and into a deep, comfortable place while drinking lemonade or crunching on Otter Pops. The sound of construction took me out of my memories and back to room 256 with the running toilet that was so obviously broken, the knockoff Vincent Van Gogh paintings, and the owl knick-knack things, where a clone of my mom was sitting in front of me. The room felt like a bad dream dressed up as a good one. In it was everything I had lost. For months I had been staying up all night crying, missing her, wondering where she went, listening to her favorite song on repeat, until I heard birds chirping and saw the sun creeping up above the horizon. I took way too many sleeping pills to get out of the nightmare I was calling life, losing my peace of mind, but I held on to this moment with her like a bow constrictor feasting on its first meal in weeks. But her smile, God, her smile, it made me so happy. Even though I knew she was forcing it for me, she, st- she still smelled like sweet pea lotion and cigarettes. <laughs> I looked at her funny and wondered if she could tell how I was reacting to this depressing version of what I of what we had before. Should I tell her how I feel? Will it ruin the moment? If I saw her sad, the whole day would feel wrong. The mom I used to know would try to get it out of me, but I didn't know this person. I had so much to process. My head started to whirl like a distorted kaleidoscope. And just like that, our 45 minutes was up. She walked me through the hotel to get to the car. I saw a needle in the parking lot. I knew it was for drugs. She greeted my dad, then she hugged me and said, I love you, Chance. That was her nickname for me. As we drove away, my dad asked, How'd it go? I answered with another question. Why is she there? She's made bad decisions.
For two years, we waited for her to come to our senses, and we made multiple attempts to try to convince her to get clean. But we learned that the only way to get her clean was for her to want to get clean. The anxiety and stress started to take a toll on me. It affected every aspect of my life, from school to sports. I refused to go to family gatherings and felt random anger towards people. I had always been a pretty good student, so it was alarming to everyone when I started sleeping in class or just skipping it altogether. My dad tried his hardest to keep me stable, but he worked the night shift and I didn't see him a lot. I was going through it alone, waiting for the day that I would stop feeling bad for myself and get off my ass. Finally, she admitted herself to rehab. After a month and a half, we were all waiting for my mom to come through the doors. My two aunts, my uncle, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, and me. None of us would miss it for the world. We were the first ones there. Of course, she took longer than everyone else, and we knew it was because she wanted to look nice for us. We watched as other families met their loved ones, cried, hugged, and kissed. When she finally walked through the door, she looked like a whole new person. She looked healthy beyond comprehension, at least compared to what she looked like before. Most of us were crying. Even I got a little teary seeing her. She came, her ha- she came around and hugged all, all eight of us. <laughs> she came around and hugged all eight of us, but I got the first hug, of course. We sat at a table in a big room and talked for two hours. The rehab center was a lot less depressing than I thought it would be. It was somewhat colorful and welcoming. You could tell a lot of stories had gone through there and a lot of tears had been shed. I had to lighten the mood, so I was cracking jokes and making everyone feel a little less timid in this foreign territory. The workers were very open. Some were past addicts. They explained how to ask questions without being too pushy. I felt invincible. It was a day of progress, a day of forgiving and accepting, a perfect day. The breeze outside, the beaming sun shining on my aunt's jumbo-sized glasses on top of her head. We had been waiting for this day for years, and it lived up to every expectation I had. But that feeling didn't last long. One month later, my feet were in warm sand as I sat in a log and listened to the waves crashing outside of my aunt's beach house in Stanwood. The sky was purple, pink, and orange, and the sun was about to sink. But I was sweating profusely, like I was taking the last shot in a championship game. When my brother called to tell me my mom had left the recovery house, it made me want to vomit everywhere. Suddenly, my head was back to swimming in all the unknowns. Where is she? Who is she with? How is she? Is she even alive? I had to get out and walk. My mind didn't tell me to. My body just did it. Thinking of her sea glass collection, I picked up a piece to remind me of the days when heroin didn't ruin my life. It was comforting to feel the smoothness of the glass against my thumb and index finger as I thought about us being in the boat, coming back to the house, eating crab, and listening to country music. We used to stay up late by the campfire, and she and my aunt would make early morning coffee runs regardless of how much they had to drink the night before. Why? She was doing so well. How could she let us go through all of this? Let us help her move into the rehab and everything, just to leave in the middle of the night without saying anything to anybody. We all thought it was going to be okay, and then it just wasn't. Just like that. When I went back inside, I looked at our old pictures as tears ran down my face. I knew that if she didn't take her blood pressure medication for her bad heart, everything in the pictures would just become remnants of her past she would leave behind, along with me. Everyone else was on the boat, so I laid back down on the couch to watch Madagascar and escape back to childhood. After a while, I could hear rain start to fall on the roof. It hadn't rained in a couple of weeks. Unusual for Washington. In the darkness, the sound of heavy rainfall pounding against the roof was my only comfort. People are coming in and going out, helping us move furniture into a new apartment. Some come to the doorway to welcome her and offer support. People she knew from the streets, who are also living there. 
I'm waiting for all the chaos of the move to be over so we can have a real conversation. I feel a weird, timid awkwardness about it, though. The two of us hadn't talked about a lot of what had happened. Her relapses, stealing money from her friends and family, and her other reckless actions toward people who loved her, and how it all affected me. We only talked about these things during family meetings at rehab. I don't want there to be a chance to dodge questions or walk away from the conversation, so I'm waiting for the perfect timing. I feel if we can just clarify how we are feeling, we can get over it, or at least accept it. When everyone finally leaves and we sit down on the couch, she turns on the TV. I'm afraid I'm going to lose the moment. It's now or never. I have so many questions on my mind, but a starter question, nothing too much, just comes out of my mouth. How are you feeling about everything? I ask. She turns to me with a tentative, worried face. It looks like she is scared, but ready for change. She's willing to discuss things with me. I feel great, she answers. She goes on to tell me about all the stuff she wants to do, where she wants to put things, how she wants to build some closets. It seems like a genuine answer, not an act. I'm excited for you, I say. Everything is great, and you deserve it. I have to add my usual sarcasm, though. You better not mess it up. She laughs nervously and gives me her, I know, look. I decide to leave the small talk and come out with the question that had really been on my mind. What did it for you? Did someone do something to push you over the edge? What was the last straw that made you finally break? I feel tense about asking her these things and realize I am fiddling with a loose strand on the couch. But I really want to know. I haven't ever struggled with the disease of addiction or how it feels to be the reason you lose your family. The person I knew before would never have done what she did. I knew it must have built up over time. She pauses, surprised at the question but she answers honestly. She describes the emotional turmoil in her life and how it affected all the decisions she made. Her boyfriend at the time was doing pills, and she started doing them with him as a way to relax from the stress of getting laid off from her work. When we got evicted, that's where it got worse, she says. We had to stay with my aunt, and my mom started relying more on pills. Not long after the eviction, she sold her car and moved into the Motel 6 and started doing heroin. She was nervous talking about it. I could tell by the way she fidgeted and moved around. That made me feel good, because I knew she wasn't faking it. When her tone started to sound defensive, I wanted to put her at ease. I'll never hold anything against you, I said. I'll always be there for you no matter what. I do have bad days, but I will do my best not to take it out on you. Her whole body relaxes. It's like a thorn had been taken out of her back, and she's finally feeling some relief. She's trying not to cry. I don't want to show her the side effects of what she had done to me. I want her to be able to be full-on progressing without worrying about me. I don't want to come off as a threat. This conversation isn't like the others that we had as a family. This is an actual conversation, not an interrogation. She's no longer struggling to answer anything, and that gives me a great deal of comfort. Little does she know I have been going over this conversations hundreds and hundreds of times in my head. I want it to go just right and set the tone for all future conversations. I am not emotionally ready for anything to set her back at all. She has to be resilient and have thick skin. I'm sorry, Chance. I never meant to hurt you. I cut her off to reassure her that I'm not mad at her and that I don't want an apology. I need her to know that even if she isn't her full self now, I will be there until she is. And after that, too. That I need her just as much as she needs me. I've done research. I know it's a disease, I say. You had no intention to do this. It wasn't you. You were severely addicted, and that altered your mind and your decision-making. Thank you, she says, but I'll be better. You're my ride or die, you know. I know. (sighs) We have always looked out for each other and have always been able to talk transparently. 
We never had secrets until the heroine. This honesty has to go beyond the two of us, though. Some people in my family aren't expressing their pain, and I know that we have a long way to go. That recovery will be a lifetime thing. I want to be clear in this first step. Anything can happen. You can't let your pride get in the way, I tell her. You're not the trustworthy person you used to be. Don't take it personally. Just take it day by day, and everyone will come around. I love you, she says, and we hug. I feel an understanding pass between us about all the progress that has taken place in just a few weeks. We can turn our attention back to the TV and have a normal time now. I said what I wanted to say, and it went like I wanted it to. I had no idea at the time, but that conversation was an important step on my own road to recovery. I went from being a negative person who didn't have a vision for his future to the exact opposite. Why not be upbeat and happy? Why not, have some, why not make someone laugh when they don't feel like it? Why not have a good attitude? I had to teach myself to do this on a consistent basis. I had to teach myself to appreciate life. Almost one year after that conversation, as I walked up the whetstone steps of Scriber Lake High School, I felt nothing but relief realizing that it was the start of something new, of something I'd been yearning for, a clean slate. I was nervous, but the familiar smell of the trees and the comfort of friendly faces coming down the stairs took me out of my own head. I knew I was ready and responsible for my own future. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I think that, (laughs) like... For our audience out there, just know that like these, what is about to happen is what stemmed our idea for for this podcast. Um, so the conversation that is going to follow this, we know you're there. Frankly, we don't give a shit. We're gonna talk how we're gonna talk, and we're gonna you know talk about what Dom Dom's written, like as it is, because. I mean, for me, this is the, like, when you first sent me that, your story, um, it took me three days to read that. Like, I mean, that's, and this is the first time that I've sat and listened to it through again. And I'm like, I've, I cried almost that whole time, (laughs) like not outright bawling, but I had, I mean, tears running down my head. I texted mom and said, I love you. Like, and, uh. I mean, that shit's hard. So I don't, I mean, I, I, I jotted some things down. I want to talk about it, but I just wanted to start with that. Like guys, we know you're listening, uh, but we're just going to talk. So stay tuned. <laughs> Therapy session. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what the conversations look like, but stem to this podcast. Yeah. It was uh, funny. Actually, uh, there was a, one of my coworkers, uh, his, his mom comes in and, and helps frequently and, you know, he's much older than, than us, but, uh, I see his mom in there frequently with him. And, uh, the other day she was leaving and she gave him a hug and she like grabbed his face and kissed his forehead. And I'm just like, you know, we don't get that, you know, that's just like the first thing that came to my mind. And, uh, I mean, I'm thankful for the life that we have and the the people that we do have in our lives consistently. But that was just like, I just, it was just one of those moments to me. I'm like, we're never going to have that. Yeah. Never say never. Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, yeah, we don't yeah. have it right now. Yeah. The kids, the kids thing is, is <clears throat> excuse me. The kids thing is what gets me. Like when you guys came out to visit and um, like she was, trying not to use Suboxone or Methadone, whatever she was trying not to use. And uh, 
like my daughter was only a couple months old and it's like you're fucking like this is you're fucking up yeah like yeah. and now we have another kid on the way like i'm just like granted there was so many people that will love my kid but it's like shit yeah yeah i i remember i mean i remember being there i remember um you know she didn't she didn't come out for the first couple of days. And I remember like, I was like sitting there and I was like, this can't happen. You know, like I, I don't know who I was talking to, but I was like, bro, like we cannot let this shit slip away. Like this is, this isn't every day. Like we don't get this shit. Like I, who was I talking to? I don't remember. I think you were talking uh, to me cause I wasn't there. I, yeah, I just remember I was so like so many conflicted feelings are going through my head because it's like, did I want to be so fucking angry? Like, yeah, like I was mad. Yeah. Like I wanted to be so mad, but it's like, it's not like I was, it's not worth it to be mad in those moments because you're just going to look back and you're going to be like, bro, like I was mad in that situation. I fucking wish I had that right now. Yeah. You know? So I like, I, I told her, I told her, I was like, I was like, just please don't fuck this up for the rest of the time. We can be mad later. You're the one that like med- mediated the whole thing. Like, I'm she came, it ended up being like a blow up thing. Like, I was gonna, like, we were gonna fucking buy her ticket to go back home and just take her to the airport. And um, you guys were to stay the rest of the time. And then she finally came out. We went up and like it was her and I going back and forth. And then Dom, you like stepped in and basically was like, did that. We're like, fucking we need to just be in the moment that we're in and like what has happened has already happened and it sucks. Like that's not how it should have been, but I don't know. Like, I don't want to sidebar you talking about your story to like the last interaction, but um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. That's what, that's what gets me is like those moments where we're supposed to be doing better and you're supposed to be clean and like, I love, like, when we talk to Cherie, and, like, I love all the harm reduction things, but um, when it comes to some of the opiate reduction, like, the medical things, like, suboxone methadone, are we just trading one thing for another? Like, I question that a lot. Um, but, yeah. All right. It's just, like, it's it's... It's eye-opening for me to... I've read your story a couple times. And it's eye-opening to me because that's a completely singular experience. Like, only you experienced that, right? Uh, We didn't... I didn't see her at the motel. I didn't see her for a majority of that time because of how I chose to handle it. And you were young and, you know, dad was kind of making... Semi-making the choices for you in that sense. But it's just... It's weird. It's just... uh, a revelation to me because I never, I didn't experience that. I didn't go through that. I didn't know you were going through that. Like, uh, and yeah. So it's just like, makes me wonder, like, you know, in the moment I was like, well, what am I doing to help Dominic? And I felt like I was doing all I could, but I didn't know how much dad wanted to talk to me about, or me to talk to you about it. It's just like, I just feel bad, you know? Yeah. I'm excited to talk to dad on Thursday like that. I'm really excited about that because, you know, as much as we've like talked and, you know, he's been there for me, like, 
you know, I obviously really wasn't there for him because, you know, like I'm the kid or whatever, but I'm really curious, like how he coped through it. Like, how do you watch your kid go through that? Like, how do you, what steps do you have to take? Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just really excited for his perspective, honestly. There's no steps. Like, I think that we're going to see a lot of like that military mindset of just sucking up and driving on. Like, Mm -hmm. not that he hasn't dealt with his shit, but like, I think that's just from my experience, like any trauma in the military is like, you don't talk about it. You just, it is what it is. Like you compartmentalize, you pack it away somewhere and you just do what you have to do to get through. Yeah. And he's wonderful. He's amazing. But like, I think that that's probably what he had to do. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I should say he would call me throughout the whole, the whole act of it, like the whole initial addiction and he'd be like, Hey, talk to mom. She's doing great. And, you know, and I think it was like, he was trying to reassure me that, you know, she's okay. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, awesome. Thanks. You know, and I got those phone calls a lot, which, you know, in the moment they kind of made me mad. Cause I'm like, that's bullshit. And it's not that he's lying to me. It's probably that she's lying to him, but I was just, you know, I appreciated the phone call, but I was always like a little bit angry after, <laughs> you know, I'm, I want everyone to see his personality. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I really want. I hope that he like shows it well, because like that fucking dude is, is, I, I don't even know how to describe him. Like, he's just, he's my dad. Like he's Steve, you know, like mm-hmm. if anyone who knows him knows, like he's just, he's so positive and he's such a lover and he's, he was her biggest fan, honestly, yeah, oh, yeah. like biggest yeah. supporter. Even like she did him dirty. <laughs> like yeah. he's still like, no matter what, I think one thing that sticks out to me um, is we, I think it was Brooke and I were visiting. I think she was pregnant at the time and Brittany was there and we were having like a party or something or there was fights or I, I don't remember what it was, but we were all like together for something. And Brittany was like talking about um, some, like they did an introduction t- for somebody, the dad, and um, they were like making small talk. And then somebody asked how, how many kids dad had. And it was like an automatic four, like he, like not, no hesitation, no anything. Like you're his only biological kid, but that didn't matter. Like <laughs> that doesn't matter to him. Like it's, it, <laughs> that's one of those. it's, I think that to me, especially as a parent now speaks more about him than anything else. Like that he just takes that on. Yeah. And four, he's about to, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's what you're laughing on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, so. Uh, yeah. give it a couple months and that <laughs> won't be a true statement yeah i think that uh, and kind of going back to dom's story it's just the the almost deja vu that hit me when i first read your story when you said you know you walked in and it was something that looked like home and smelled like home but it wasn't home uh and just like the the describing words of you know sweet pea and cigarettes i was like i knew i felt in my i knew like i was there with you when i read that like i knew exactly what you were talking about and 
uh, it just brought me back to like, we always, we call it the big house, but it just brought me back to like getting off the bus and walking in home and coming in the door from when we all, you know, lived in the big house. And it just, it was just, I knew exactly what you were saying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, as anyone can tell, like, I absolutely love that woman. Uh, (laughs) I would hope you can fucking tell, (laughs) but it's, uh, reading that for me, like even like just reading it just now, um, it doesn't even feel like it's me that wrote it. Like, and this was only, I was what you said, I think 15, I think you were 15. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's been five years since I started writing it and I mean, I haven't lost any of that love. It's just, it's sad to see yourself kind of, come to terms with reality um i think that's something that i realized that i've done in the last couple of years um and that might be something that i'm i'm healing you know like i i'm not letting my hopes get up or anything like that um but i want to still be that little kid who thinks that everything's going to be okay you know i i never want to give up especially on her but on anyone like i feel like i've I almost gave up on myself, you know, and look at me now, like I'm so much better. And it's like, I feel like I'd be doing her a disservice if I just ultimately gave up on her. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I get that coming. It's it's so fucking hard. Like it's such a thin line to walk because on one hand, if like being a complete realist or pessimist, whatever, like, seeing reality for what it is like i know we've talked about it but i haven't talked to her over a year yeah. and here we are like having these conversations with people with other people talking about recovery and the like, great things and it's like i feel kind of hypocritical because it's like shit like i don't she's recovered but i don't have that really you know what it is what it is yeah. but then having that other side of like you know someday it could be bigger than it is or better than it is and it's just it's it's hard it's i think that's something that anybody who truly is going through it with a family member understands on such a deep level because at any point that's what it is i mean a couple things that you that i jotted down you talked about like the hope at first like when you guys first went and saw her in recovery. I, I, I wasn't oh, there. I was, I was, a, you know, across the country, but like, I remember that, that hope. And I think everybody kind of goes through those hopeful moments. And then, um, another thing, like the, uh, like goes back to what Alex was saying, like the clone, the, uh, kind of like a clone. I mean, you said clone of clone of my mom, but those like, it's not real, but it is. It's just tough. Like, there's no, again, like anybody that's dealing with a the family member, I think can really feel these things. Um, yeah. Even, I mean, talking to Kat, um, it just made me appreciate her and her you know, journey her story more because it's like, um, you know, she was in it, she was in it, like, exactly, obviously, not everything is the exact same. But 
like she was in it and you know everyone that we everyone focuses on the bad you know when it comes to social media what gets clicks is bad things you know and it's like i just appreciated her perspective so much because she talks about the struggles like it sucks all the fucking time it's a constant thing you know her anniversary is about to come up for this amount of time and it's still hard it's 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 like it's so easy to look at the bad you know and it's like obviously you're proud of yourself but it's like you still there's still that thing like creeping up on you and it's like all the time i want to show up at mom's house and like take her away to a fucking you know to a clean and sober house or whatever like i mean i don't know if she's clean i mean i don't know anyway um i just want everything to be okay and it nothing feels real and so i just have like stayed away and i feel like it hurts me so much to stay away yeah i mean you two things that like different points in your story you you said if you said something that made her feel sad, then that would ruin the whole, then the whole thing feels wrong. And I feel like I'm in that moment a lot. And that's a slippery slope because you don't know what's going to cause somebody to relapse or like push back into a dark moment like that. And you feel like you have to be careful, but at the same time, you have to be real. You talked later about having those, that conversation that you wanted to have, but wanted to make it so that she couldn't dodge any of the questions or walk away or, or anything like that. You know, this is why I go back to saying, like, I think you've done the best out of all of us. Like yeah. Hannah, Hannah has also gone to therapy too, but you're like, I'm not even there. Like I, haven't even confronted her on like the way that I'm feeling because I do have that fear of like somehow ruining it or like it feeling it's just so difficult because there's that internal struggle of why did they use in the first place and why as their children are we not good enough for them to become sober and then if when they become sober, you try to have these difficult conversations and then something happens. It's like, well, fuck. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm this just, is, yeah. Sorry. No, I just, I'm the opposite in the sense of like, I word vomited a lot with mom. I spoke my mind immediately. And then I, where you had those feelings of like, I don't want to ruin it. I, just said what I felt in the moment when I was around her. And then I would leave and be like, I fucked it all up. So I think we'd have the same emotions just in reverse. Uh, yeah. I specifically remember, you know, one time I took Jackson over there to see her and her boyfriend at the time or whatever she apparently he was using, but she was clean. And I, anyways, it's not the point, but he had his kit just on the freaking kitchen table and I had showed up with Jackson and, you know, she started fighting with him for leaving that out. And I was like, I'm fucking out of here. And she like kind of got upset for a second. And I was like, no, I'm like, you're fucking stupid. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to give you what you've asked for to see your grandchild. And this is what I show up to. I was like, never fucking again. I'm like, no. And we left and I immediately got in the car and I drove away. And I'm like, I did not handle that the right way because I just left her 
in a emotional vulnerable situation and I know there's drugs at the house and she's apparently clean. So I felt immediate regret for how I handled the situation. Whereas in your situation, you felt regret. you guys are like struggle with not saying things because you don't want to ruin it. I feel like I'm, I just, bit, you know, Shit, I'm glad you said that. That's just true, bro. The fuck? I mean, yeah, there's neither, neither is right, though. Like, neither, yeah, neither is perfect. There's no fucking playbook. Like, no, there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing that's like, oh, your mom made his heroin. Here's exactly how you should respond as her child. How old are you? Okay, this is what you need to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's none of that shit. And, I mean, we talked about it before. I know it got cut out because I didn't want it in there, but like struggling with the like not ever feeling actually wanted. Like, it's like I think we all come at it from different different places anyway. It's just so so fucking hard. I don't I don't know how else to say it. Like, I don't know. Well, I think that that's the point of this podcast is we're saying it because other people are still trying to figure out how. And I guess the answer, there, the answer is there is no answer except for just speak how you feel. You know, like find find the moment that works for you and just get it out. That's all you can do. I mean. I mean, shit. I was on the top of the world like three times in that fucking story, and five years later, I feel like I'm in like the complete middle. So it's like, yeah, yeah. you gotta, you know, ride your highs and, you know, endure the lows. That's, I mean, that's how it feels. I mean, like, you you hope for the best and prepare for the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Was there any, like, I know mom stayed in contact with you the most, Dominic. Was there, and like, you always, I feel like you always saw her. It was there points. I maybe not as young as I'm sure when you were younger, you always wanted to see her, but as you got older, was there points where you're like, no, I don't want to see you. Uh, I mean, there'd be times where, you know, she would call me and then, you know, dad worked a night shift. So she'd be like, okay, well I can come a little later and like get later and later. And she wouldn't come. And then she'd call me the next day on a different phone number and like all this shit. And like, eventually like I, I just stopped answering, um, which I felt bad for looking back on it, but I feel like it was the appropriate thing to do. But yeah, I mean, a child. Yeah. 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 Like I, I, I couldn't handle it sometimes. Like she, it was just too sad (laughs) to see her. Like it was just too sad. Like, like, you know, I'd fucking skip school and I'd be like, hey, can you like bring me some food or something? And then she'd show up at fucking 10 o'clock that night. But yeah, no, yeah, I, I didn't want to see her a lot of the time. Um, But I had guilt and I was like, I have to see her because if she fucking dies tomorrow, then I'm I'm glad that I saw her. I mean, I can't say no because I never know when I'll see her again. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, was there times? Yeah, but most of the time, no, I I. I couldn't live with myself not being able to see her. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't fear know the unknown. Yeah. I don't know if it was at the same time you were writing your story, but it was a few years ago. So it might've been, but, um, there was the unaf- unidentified woman that they found. Do you remember this? So I think yes, it was a couple recalled me on the way. 
Yeah, there's an unidentified uh, female, white, uh, posted on like the county sheriff page. Uh, anyways, it was an unidentified mid-40s woman uh, found overdosed uh, right where mom hung out over by 128th at one of the parks. And I called and I called and I called and they had, they were like, we can't tell you anything. We can only, we're only going to release information to the family. Uh, once we have a positive ID and we get a hold of the family and I'm like, I was freaking out. Right. And mom's not answering. I didn't have a current phone number. I think I called Jordan. I called dad. I called everybody. And um, I hadn't talked to mom in like eight months at that point. And that was a big turning point in my mindset of, if mom wants to see me, am I going to let her see me? Because there was times in that before that happened that I just ignored her. Right. Or I just, just didn't respond or, or told her no or whatever it may be. And that was a huge shift in my mindset for a while. Um, I've gone back and forth, but I was like, I can't, I can't say no because what if she dies tomorrow? Right. And then when we found out it wasn't her, obviously there was a huge relief, but I was still like, that relief turned into anger because I'm like, that could be fucking you. And that's what you're, that's what you're willing to go through. If you keep living this life, like that's what you're, she's willing to put me how through I just felt to continue using drugs. Right. I was like, my, my relief turned into anger and I was just like, man, yeah, it was, that was a crazy couple of days for sure. It's, isn't that, it's so annoying. Like how you can go like, so back and forth between your emotions. Um, but I do want to say if you are feeling this way, um, obviously not professional at all, but you're not alone. <laughs> like we're so far into this and there's still things that I think about. I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about it that way. You know, like I, Oh, I'm feeling this way. Like, wow, that's why I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you're heard, you are hurt. You are, you know, you're not alone in these feelings, your feelings, like you may not even know that you're fucking feeling them. Like it's, it's insane. Yeah, um, it could literally be us. Like there's three of us span of, you know, 12 years and like, we all have radically different perspectives on it. And she's, I mean, it, it's been 10 years since she started using and we're still, right here dealing with it with you all so like <laughs> i wouldn't if i think that's one of the things that i'm i like dig so much into the education side of it like man like i feel like i should be so much further ahead in the way that i cope and the way that like i feel like her and i should like i haven't talked to her in over a year and that sucks um <laughs> but I like we deal with it, how we're going to deal with it. And like, it's ongoing and it's ever changing. So if you are in any of our situations, if you feel related to any of us, like that's okay. Keep doing the best that you can. And if like, I don't, I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but if you're using like, just know that the emotions that your family members feel, are so vivid and um they just want what's best for you it's like what we still love you yeah absolutely yeah. and that's exactly what kat said when she was you know when she was out looking for her brother she was like i didn't realize this is the other side yeah if i got a phone call fucking right now i would fly back 
I'd fly to Everett, Washington, and I would drive the streets looking for mom. Yeah. Like if, and yeah, like you're loved no matter what burn, what bridges you've burned, what shit you've done. Like there's going to be people somewhere that care about you. And if you think there's not like realize that there are, and that you're just in your head. Shit, bro. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Like Dominic will find you. <laughs> I, I love every single person listening to this shit, bro. Like genuinely you get like, you know, we posted a thing or you guys did. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't done shit. I had a kidney stone. Didn't even leave my fucking house for two weeks. <laughs> um, you know, talking about all the, we appreciate it and all this stuff, but it's like, like genuinely like the things that you've done for me personally, you know, like I love you guys for that. Like you guys have put me like, you make my day better, you know, like every single person that reaches out to me and talks to me, about that they just like the podcast or oh wow i didn't know you were going through that i'm so sorry that happened to you like hey if you need to talk i love you dog like <laughs> genuinely like you all of you you've done so much for me and you, you know we we might not even know each other yeah and we're just getting started yeah, too and that's the best part right i just yeah i want to be able to look back five years and and you know just do a recap on just the growth of us and hopefully the people we've helped and, you know, I'd love to do, I mean, this is kind of just, these are kind of the behind the scenes talks, but I mean, we're here. So fuck it. But I, I would love to do like a, an event, you know, in like a year, just like, Hey, if you listen to the podcast, this is in your local, this is where we're going to be. We'd love to meet you guys and just oh do an event. God. Right. And just fucking shake hands and give hugs and just talk, you know, that's just, uh, tree will a, be there hugging everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a goal of mine. I just want to, you know, this is great to, for you guys to be able to hear us, but we want to hear you too. We want to, we want to see you. We'd love to meet you guys. And um, yeah, reach yeah. out. I, I love to talk. We're not, I mean, we're not huge yet, so, you know, I'm not going to get any stalkers, but, you know, <laughs> reach out, you know, on the socials, if it just anything, man, like anything. I love to talk to people and it helps me. <laughs> so you'd be doing me a service. Yeah, I don't have anything else to cover on the story. Like, I think that, again, oh. like, going back, this is this is exactly the conversations that we had that led us to be like, let's have this on a bigger scale and, like, show people what kind of healing together looks like. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, another thing, uh, we will be posting the story to the website, and I don't know if it's, like, a whatever but we'll post it um if you want to share it with your you know friends family pastor dog pastor. sitter anyone i don't care <laughs> i will i love for it to get out there yeah the best thing that people can do is leave a review because that's how people find us and then um you know positive review preferably <laughs> um, but then just like just keep listening and you never know what message is going to touch you, what message, you know, who you're going to resonate with and what's going to be uh, something you connect with on a deeper level and share it with people. Yeah, absolutely. Dominic, you want to do the honors? Thank you for listening. Um, again, if you want to read the story, whatever, it'll be on the website, socials. And yeah, we love you.
If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.